Chapter Seven of Cleopatra by Georg Ebers, translated by Mary J. Safford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. Archibius had buried himself so deeply in the past that it was several minutes ere he could bring himself back to the present. When he did so, he hastily discussed with the two ladies the date of their departure it was hard for berenike to leave her injured brother and barine longed to see dion once more before the journey both were reluctant to quit alexandria ere decisive news had arrived from the army and the fleet so they requested a few days delay but archibius cut them short requiring them with a resolution which transformed the amiable friend into a stern master to be ready for the journey the next day at sunset his nile boat would await them at the agathodemon harbour on lake mariatus and his travelling chariot would convey them thither with as much luggage and as many female slaves as they desired to take with them then softening his tone he briefly reminded the ladies of the great annoyances to which a longer stay would expose them excused his rigour on the plea of haste pressed the hands of the mother and daughter and retired without heeding barine who called after him yet could desire nothing save to plead for a longer delay the carriage bore him swiftly to the great harbour the waxing moon was mirrored like a silver column now wavering and tremulous now rent by the waves tossing under a strong south-east wind and illumined the warm autumn night the sea outside was evidently running high this was apparent by the motion of the vessels lying at anchor in the angle which the shore in front of the superb temple of poseidon formed with the coma this was a tongue of land stretched like a finger into the sea on whose point stood a little palace which cleopatra incited by a chance remark of antony had had built there to surprise him another of white marble glimmered in the moonlight from the island of antirodus and farther still a blazing fire illumined the darkness its flames flared from the top of the famous lighthouse on the island of pharos at the entrance of the harbour and swayed to and fro by the wind steeped the horizon and the outer edge of the dark water in the harbour with moving masses of light which irradiated the gloomy distance sometimes faintly anon more brilliantly spite of the late hour the harbour was full of bustle though the wind often blew the men's cloaks over their heads and the women were obliged to gather their garments closely around them true at this hour commerce had ceased but many had gone to the port in search of news or even to greet before others the first ship returning from the victorious fleet for that antony had defeated octavianus in a great battle was deemed certain guards were watching the harbour and a band of syrian horsemen had just passed from the barracks in the southern part of the lochius to the temple of poseidon here the galleys lay at anchor not in the harbour of eunostus which was separated from the other by the broad bridge-like dam of the heptastadium that united the city and the island of pharos near it were the royal palaces and the arsenal and any tidings must first reach this spot the other harbour was devoted to commerce but in order to prevent the spread of false reports newly arrived ships were forbidden to enter 
true even at the great harbour news could scarcely be expected for a chain stretching from the end of the pharos to a cliff directly opposite in the alvius Deganus closed the narrow opening but it could be raised if a state galley arrived with an important message and this was expected by the throng on the shore doubtless many came from banquets cookshops taverns or the nocturnal meeting-places of the sects that practised the magic arts yet the weight of anxious expectation seemed to check the joyous activity and wherever archibius glanced he beheld eager troubled faces the wind forced many to bow their heads and wherever they turned their eyes flags and clouds of dust were fluttering in the air increasing the confusion as the galley put off from the shore and the flutes summoned the oarsmen to their toil its owner felt so disheartened that he did not even venture to hope that he was going in quest of good tidings long vanished days had as it were been called from the grave and many a scene from the past rose before him as he lay among the cushions on the poop gazing at the sky across which dark swiftly sailing clouds sometimes veiled the stars and again revealed them how much we can conceal by words without being guilty of falsehood he murmured while recalling what he had told the women ay he had been cleopatra's confidant in his early youth but how he had loved her how even as a boy he had been subject to her body and soul he had allowed her to see it displayed confessed it and she had accepted it as her rightful due she had repelled with angry pride his only attempt to clasp her in his overflowing affection in his arms but to show his love for her is a crime for which the loftiest woman pardons the humblest suitor and a few hours later cleopatra had met him with the old affectionate familiarity again he recalled the torments which he had endured when compelled to witness how completely she yielded to the passion which drew her to antony at that time the roman had merely swept through her life like a swiftly passing meteor but many things betrayed that she did not forget him and while archibius had seen without pain her love for the great caesar bud and grow the torturing feeling of jealousy again stirred in his heart though youth was past when at tarsus on the river sidnus she renewed the bond which still united her to antony now his hair had grown grey and though nothing had clouded his friendship for the queen though he had always been ready to serve her this foolish feeling had not been banished and again and again mastered his whole being he by no means undervalued antony's attractions but he saw his foibles no less clearly all in all whenever he thought of this pair he felt like the lover of art who entrusts the finest gem in his collection to a rich man who knows not how to prize its real value and puts it in the wrong place yet he wished the roman the most brilliant victory for his defeat would have been cleopatra's also and would she endure the consequences of such a disaster the galley was approaching the flickering circle of light at the foot of the pharos and archibius was just producing the token which was to secure the lifting of the chain when his name echoed through the stillness of the night it was dion hailing him from a boat tossing near the mouth of the harbour on the waves surging in from the turbulent sea he had recognized archibius's swift galley from the bust of epicurus which was illumined by the light of the lantern in the prow 
cleopatra had had it placed upon the ship which by her orders had been built for her friend dion now desired to join him and was soon standing on the deck at his side he had landed on the island of pharos and entered a sailor's tavern to learn what was passing but no one could give him any definite information for the wind was blowing from the land and allowed large vessels to approach the egyptian coast only by the aid of oars shortly before the breeze had veered from south to southeast and an experienced rhodian would never again lift cup of wine to his lips if it did not blow from the north to-morrow or the day after then ships bearing news might reach alexandria by the dozen that is the greybeard added with a defiant glance at the daintily clad city gentlemen if they were allowed to pass the pharos or go through the poseidon basin into the eunostus he had fancied that he saw sails on the horizon at sunset but the swiftest galley became a hedgehog when the wind blew against its prow and even checked the oars others too had fancied that they had seen sails and dion would gladly have gone out to sea to investigate but he was entirely alone in a frail hired boat and this would not have been permitted to pass beyond the harbour the expectation that every road would be open to archibius had not deceived him and the harbour chain was drawn aside for the epicurus with swelling sails urged by the strong wind blowing from the southeast its keel cut the rolling waves soon a faint tremulous light appeared in the north it must be a ship and though the helmsman in the tavern at pharos who looked as though he had not always steered peaceful trading vessels had spoken of some which did not let the ships they caught pass unscathed the men on the well-equipped stately epicurus did not fear pirates especially as morning was close at hand and it had just shot by two clumsy men of war which had been sent out by the regent the strong wind filled every sail rowing would have been useless labour and the light in front seemed to be coming nearer a wan glimmer was already beginning to brighten the distant east when the epicurus approached the vessel with the light but it seemed to wish to avoid the alexandrian and turned suddenly towards the northeast archibius and dion now discussed whether it would be worth while to pursue the fugitive it was a small ship which as the dark masses of clouds became bordered with golden edges grew more distinct and appeared to be a cilician pirate of the smallest size as to its crew the tried sailors on the epicurus a much larger vessel which lacked no means of defence showed no signs of alarm the helmsman especially who had served in the fleet of sextus pompey and had sprung upon the deck of many a pirate ship archibius deemed it foolish to commence a conflict unnecessarily but dion was in the mood to brave every peril if life and death were at stake so much the better he had informed his friend of iris's fears the fleet must be in a critical situation and if the little cilician had had nothing to conceal she would not have shunned the epicurus it was worth while to learn what had induced her to turn back just before reaching the harbour the warlike helmsman also desired to give chase and archibius yielded for the uncertainty was becoming more and more unbearable dion's soul was deeply burdened too he could not banish barine's image and since archibius had told him that he had found her resolved to shut her house against guests and how willingly she had accepted his invitation to the country again and again he pondered over the question what should prevent his marrying the quiet daughter of a distinguished artist whom he loved 
archibius had remarked that barine would be glad to greet her most intimate friends among whom he was included in her quiet country dion did not doubt this but he was equally sure that the greeting would bind him to her and rob him of his liberty perhaps for ever but would the alexandrian possess the lofty gift of freedom if the romans ruled his city as they governed carthage or corinth if cleopatra were defeated and egypt became a roman province a share in the business of the council which was still addressed as macedonian men and which was dear to dion could offer nothing but humiliation and no longer afford satisfaction if a pirate's spear put an end to bondage under the roman yoke and to this unworthy yearning and wavering so much the better on this autumn morning under this grey sky from which sank a damp light fog with these hopes and fears in his heart he beheld in both the present and future naught save shadows the epicurus overtook and captured the fugitive the slight resistance the vessel might have offered was relinquished when archibius's helmsman shouted that the epicurus did not belong to the royal navy and had come in search of news the cilician took in his oars archibius and dion entered the vessel and questioned the commander he was an old weather-beaten seaman who would give no information until after he had learned what his pursuers really desired at first he protested that he had witnessed on the peloponnesian coast a great victory gained by the egyptian galleys over those commanded by octavianus but the queries of the two friends involved him in contradictions and he then pretended to know nothing and to have spoken of a victory merely to please the alexandrian gentlemen dion accompanied by a few men from the crew of the epicurus searched the ship and found in the little cabin a man bound and gagged guarded by one of the pirates it was a sailor from the pontus who spoke only his native language nothing intelligible could be obtained from him but there were important suggestions in a letter found in a chest in the cabin among clothing jewels and other stolen articles the letter dion could scarcely believe his own eyes was addressed to his friend the architect gorgias the pirate being ignorant of writing had not opened it but dion tore the wax from the cord without delay aristocrates the greek rhetorician who had accompanied antony to the war had written from tenarum in the south of the peloponnesus requesting the architect in the general's name to set the little palace at the end of the coma in order and surround it on the land side with a high wall no door would be necessary communication with the dwelling could be had by water he must do his utmost to complete the work speedily the friends gazed at each other in astonishment as they read this commission what could induce antony to give so strange an order how did it fall into the hands of the pirates this must be understood when archibius whose gentle nature so well adapted to inspire confidence quickly won friends burst into passionate excitement the unexpected transition rarely failed to produce its effect especially as his tall strong figure and marked features made a still more threatening impression even the captain gazed at him with fear when the alexandrian threatened to recall all his promises of consideration and mercy if the pirate withheld even the smallest trifle connected with this letter the man speedily perceived that it would be useless to make false statements for the captive from pontus 
though unable to speak greek understood the language and either confirmed every remark of the other with vehement gestures or branded it in the same manner as false thus it was discovered that the pirate craft in company with a much larger vessel owned by a companion had lurked behind the promontory of crete for a prize they had neither seen nor heard aught concerning the two fleets when a dainty galley the finest and fleetest that ever sailed in the sea it was probably the swallow antony's dispatch-boat had run into the snare to capture her was an easy task the pirates had divided their booty but the lion's share of goods and men had fallen to the larger ship a pouch containing letters and money had been taken from a gentleman of aristocratic appearance probably antony's messenger who had received a severe wound died and had been flung into the sea the former had been used to light the fire and only the one addressed to the architect remained the captured sailors had said that the fleet of octavianus had defeated cleopatra's and the queen had fled but that the land forces were still untouched and might yet decide the conflict in antony's favour the pirate protested that he did not know the position of the army it might be at tenarum whence the captured ship came it was a sin and a shame but his own crew had set it on fire and it sank before his eyes this report seemed to be true yet the arcarnanian coast where the battle was said to have been fought was so far from the southern point of the peloponnesus whence antony's letter came that it must have been written during the flight one thing appeared to be certain the fleet had been vanquished and dispersed on the second or third of september where would the queen go now what had become of the magnificent galleys which had accompanied her to the battle even the contrary winds would not have detained them so long for they were abundantly supplied with rowers had octavianus taken possession of them were they burned or sunk but in that case how had antony reached tenarum the pirate could give no answer to these questions which stirred both heart and brain why should he conceal what had reached his ears at last archibius ordered the property stolen from antony's ship and the liberated sailor to be brought on board the epicurus but the pirate was obliged to swear not to remain in the waters between crete and alexandria then he was suffered to pursue his way unmolested this adventure had occupied many hours and the return against the wind was slow for during the chase the epicurus had been carried by the strong breeze far out to sea yet when still several miles from the mouth of the harbour at the pharos it was evident that the rhodian helmsman in the island tavern had predicted truly for the weather changed with unusual speed and the wind now blew from the north the sea fairly swarmed with ships some belonging to the royal fleet some to curious alexandrians who had sailed out to take a survey archibius and dion had spent a sleepless night and day the heavy air pervaded by a fine mist had grown cool after refreshing themselves by a repast they paced up and down the deck of the epicurus few words were exchanged and they wrapped their cloaks closer around them both had quaffed large draughts of the fiery wine with which the epicurus was well supplied but it would not warm them even the fire blazing brightly in the richly furnished cabin could scarcely do so 
archibius's thoughts lingered with his beloved queen and his vivid power of imagination conjured before his mind everything which could distress her no possible chance not even the most terrible was forgotten and when he saw her sinking in the ship stretching her beautiful arms imploringly towards him to whom she had so long turned in every perilous position when he beheld her a captive in the presence of the hostile cold-hearted octavianus the blood seemed to freeze in his veins at last he dropped his felt mantle and groaning aloud struck his brow with his clenched hand he had fancied her walking with gold chains on her slender wrists before the victor's four-horse chariot and heard the exulting shouts of the roman populace that would have been the most terrible of all to pursue this train of thought was beyond the endurance of the faithful friend and dion turned in surprise as he heard him sob and saw the tears which bedewed his face his own heart was heavy enough but he knew his companion's warm devotion to the queen so passing his arm around his shoulder he entreated him to maintain that peace of soul and mind which he had so often admired in the most critical situations he had seen him stand high above them as yonder man who fed the flames on the summit of the pharos stood above the wild surges of the sea if he would reflect over what had happened as dispassionately as usual he could not fail to see that antony must be free and in a position to guide his own future since he directed the palace in the coma to be put in order he did not understand about the wall but perhaps he was bringing home some distinguished captive whom he wished to debar from all communication with the city it might prove that everything was far better than they feared and they would yet smile at these grievous anxieties his heart too was heavy for he wished the queen the best fortune not only for her own sake but because with her and her successful resistance to the greed of rome was connected the liberty of alexandria my love and anxiety like yours he concluded have ever been given to her the sovereign of this country the world will be desolate life will no longer be worth living if the iron foot of rome crushes our independence and freedom the words had sounded cordial and sincere and archibius followed dion's counsel calm thought convinced him that nothing had yet happened which compelled belief in the worst result and as one who needs consolation often finds relief in comforting another archibius cheered his own heart by representing to his younger friend that even if octavianus were the victor and should deprive egypt of her independence he would scarcely venture to take from the citizens of alexandria the free control of their own affairs then he explained to dion that as a young resolute independent man he might render himself doubly useful if it were necessary to guard the endangered liberty of the city and told him how many beautiful things life still held in store his voice expressed anxious tenderness for his young friend no one had spoken thus to dion since his father's death the epicurus would soon reach the mouth of the harbour and after landing he must again leave archibius the decisive hour which often unites earnest men more firmly than many previous years had come to both they had opened their hearts to each other dion had withheld only the one thing which at the first sight of the houses in the city filled his soul with fresh uneasiness it was long since he had sought counsel from others many who had asked his had left him with thanks to do exactly the opposite of what he had advised though it would have been to their advantage 
more than once he too had done the same but now a powerful impulse urged him to confide in archibius he knew barine and wished her the greatest happiness perhaps it would be wise to let another person who was kindly disposed consider what his own heart so eagerly demanded and prudence forbade hastily forming his resolution he again turned to his friend saying you have shown yourself a father to me imagine that i am indeed your son and as such wish to confess that a woman had become dear to my heart and to ask whether you would be glad to greet her as a daughter here archibius interrupted him with the exclamation a ray of light amid all this gloom grasp what you have too long neglected as soon as possible it befits a good citizen to marry the greek does not attain full manhood till he becomes husband and father if i have remained unwedded there was a special reason for it and how often i have envied the cobbler whom i saw standing before his shop in the evening holding his child in his arms or the pilot to whom large and small hands were stretched in greeting when he returned home when i enter my dwelling only my dogs rejoice but you whose beautiful palace stands empty to whose proud family it is due that you should provide for its continuance that is just what brings me into a state of indecision which is usually foreign to my nature interrupted dion you know me and my position in the world and you have also known from her earliest childhood the woman to whom i allude iris asked his companion hesitatingly his sister charmian had told him of the love felt by the queen's younger waiting-woman but dion eagerly denied this adding i am speaking of barine the daughter of your dead friend leonax i love her yet my pride is sensitive and i know that it will extend to my future wife the contemptuous glances which others might cast at her i should scorn for i know her worth surely you remember my mother she was a very different woman her house her child the slaves her loom were everything to her she rigidly exacted from other women the chaste reserve which was a marked trait in her own character yet she was gentle and loved me her only son beyond aught else i think she would have opened her arms to barine had she believed that she was necessary to my happiness but would the young beauty accustomed to gay intercourse with distinguished men have been able to submit to her demands when i consider that she cannot help taking into her married life the habit of being surrounded and courted when i think that the imprudence of a woman accustomed to perfect freedom might set idle tongues in motion and cast a shadow upon the radiant purity of my name when i even and he raised his clenched right hand but archibius answered soothingly that anxiety is groundless if barine warmly and joyfully gives you her whole heart it is a sunny lovable true woman's heart and therefore capable of a great love if she bestows it on you and i believe she will go and offer sacrifices in your gratitude for the immortals desired your happiness when they guided your choice to her and not to iris my own sister's child if you were really my son i would now exclaim you could not bring me a dearer daughter if i repeated if you are sure of her love dion gazed into vacancy a short time and then cried firmly i am End of chapter seven